Hey there, this is Michelle. Welcome back to Not Your Mana. Um, I gave a sermon yesterday out of Acts 5 and following, and I thought I'd share it with you. So here it is. There you go. Carry on. Cheerio. feel like the Lord wants to remind us this morning that we are children of God. Do you know that you are children of God? What does it mean that God, what, that God has lavished on us his love that we get to be called children of God? This is good news. Do y'all know that this morning? This is good news. And um, last week, Matt asked a question about what's the best community you've ever been a part of? And I would say one of the best communities I've ever been a part of is my Young Life staff. And we do a lot of really intense life together. We do ministry together. And I've watched God do crazy things alongside these people. Well, we go to these conferences sometimes and do trainings and whatever. And when we're there, there was, they always have worship. And there was this worship leader, this, this team that we had at a bunch of different trainings. And often what would happen is in the middle of their worship, they would start doing this thing where they would be like, I'm blessed, you're blessed, she's blessed, we're blessed. And it became this thing where we realized like, we are so blessed. And so we just started, we would say, we'd say I have a hashtag just amongst ourselves. We go hashtag blessed, blessed. Like you're just double blessed. Like, do you know that God gives you a double portion? Isaiah 61, instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. Do you know how blessed you are, children of God? You are blessed, blessed. Come on. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Um, this morning, shifting gears, I get to teach it. I get to teach about persecution this morning. Thank you, Matt Carlson for signing me up. Oh my gosh. Um, we are going to go through a ton of scripture today and I get in trouble when I don't give addresses. This is what's the trouble when you hide the word of God in your heart, all of a sudden it starts flying out of your mouth and people are like, where is that? And I'm like, oh gosh. So anyways, I try, I'm going to try to put them on the screens for you. So if you want to have a pen, you can, or you can rewatch the sermon later, or you can just sit there and try to absorb up to you how you want to move forward from here. Um, one thing I do want to do is I just think we have to acknowledge what's going on in our world right now. This is a, a we're in a really cr crazy season. Um, like right now, we have two hurricanes that are hitting America, one coming up from the Baja and coming into the Southwest. We've got one hitting um, through the Gulf of Mexico. Um, a bunch of our country is on fire. Afghanistan's happening. There is um, a pandemic. I don't know if you've picked up on it. Like things are, things are crazy. And um, so I want to just take a moment to pray. And also, I just think it's important that sometimes when we think about persecution, I think it's easy sometimes to say that things are persecution that aren't. I think we need some discernment to know what is persecution and what is not. Because sometimes um, bad things that happen in a Christian's life might be, instead of a result of persecution, they might be a result of like bad choices. I went to a college and one of our mottos was, ideas have consequences, which means that bad ideas have bad consequences. Sometimes that happens in your life. And... Um, so sometimes things that happen in the world are a result of sin. Sometimes they're a result of the brokenness of our world. Sometimes they are a result of persecution. We're going to need wisdom to know which is which. But we cannot deny that the things that are going on in our world right now are intense. They are full of affliction and suffering. And life on our planet right now does not seem to be the way that it was intended to be. The way that God intended when he created the world in Eden. I think we look around and we go, uh, 
we are not in Eden anymore, Toto. Like this is a different kind of place, right? So God, we need your discernment if we're gonna figure out how to get through this and then how do we bring the kingdom of God to bear upon the world we live in? Let's pray. Um, God, would you help us as your people, as your blessed children of God to know what it means and what it looks like to interact with our world right now? God, we ask for your mercy in the places that are hard, for storms that are hitting our country, for things that are literally and figuratively on fire. We pray for your children around the world, your beloved children, whether they know that they are your beloved children or not. Holy Spirit, we pray over your people. And God, we pray for your wisdom to know what to do in this season, in these days, as in a world that is full of suffering and affliction and pain and anger and division. Holy Spirit, we want to follow you. Will you teach us to be a people who do that? Would you use us in this body, in this corner of the world, to live differently? Lord, open our eyes to what you need to open our eyes to this morning. And help us to see you as you would want us to see you and to see our world as you would want us to see your world. Show us how to be your people in the midst of it. We pray for your mercy and your help for those who have a lot of fear this morning, who are under tremendous pain, tremendous sorrow. Holy Spirit, we see, we see, and we, we come alongside them in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. You can get out your Bible or not. Here we go. We're in Acts 5. If you've, if you've been uh, following along with our sermon series, we've been kind of working our way through Acts. And what's been happening is um, Matt, I think, used, he's used a really good word. He called it, they were in a honeymoon phase. This is the honeymoon phase of the church. So like Jesus, you know, died, rose, was around for 40 days. Crazy things happened. The Holy Spirit fell. There's thousands of people meeting Jesus, coming into the kingdom. Like things are moving and growing. There's this beautiful unity amongst the body and it's creating this intense generosity. It's creating some really powerful moves of the Spirit of God. There's miracles and there's healings and they're like, oh yes, this is good, right? We're in turn corner. Okay, that's what's happening. So all of the goodness. We are in Acts 15, 17, if you want to come with me. So the high priest and his associates who were mem- members of the... What? Acts 5, 17? Whatever I said. Thanks for following along. Okay, so Acts 5, 17 says, so it's the Sadducees, the Jewish ruling council is seeing what's happening with all these followers of Jesus and they are getting jealous. It says that they were filled with jealousy. So things, they're going, I don't, I don't like this. And so what do they do? They decide to arrest the apostles. The apostles get arrested. They are in jail. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. I love that directive. It is so beautiful. It's like a a little bit different version of the Great Commission. It It just hits my heart good. It says, go and tell the people the full message of this new life. That is the directive. And they are like, oh, yes, we are out. We are going. We are leaving jail and we're gonna go. So the next morning they go into the temple courts, like which is also right there. And they're going to start proclaiming the full message of this new life. So they're doing that. In the meantime, in the morning, the uh, Jewish ruling council gathers and they gather all the people and they say, go bring in the prisoners. And so they go to the prison doors. They tell the guards, unlock those doors. They go in there and they go, 
no one's in there. <laughs> so they go back to the people and they go, uh, they're not there. And so they're puzzled. At that moment, in comes someone else and they go, hey, the guys that you locked up are actually teaching in the temple courts. And they go, bring them in here. So they bring them in there. So now here, here are the apostles in front of the ruling council. And I think this is so funny. In verse 28, he says, the first thing they say to them is they say, hey, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He doesn't say like, how did you get out of jail? Like, why didn't you stay in jail when I put you there? Like, how did this happen? Like, like they just witnessed a miracle and they, are, they, they don't even know what to do with it. I feel like sometimes I have this, these moments as a parent where I don't know what to say and then I'm just like, like I just, you know, and I just like say that one time, one time I, I, we had this phrase in my family where like if someone's just kind of too up in your face, we go back up, badger. <laughs> just anyway, just go with it. I don't know. That's what we say. Well, one day I, my kids were freaking out and I just yelled badger at them. And you're like, what? And then you're like, sorry, I, that's not helpful. And anyway, I kind of feel like that's what they did here. I feel like they were like, instead of addressing the obvious thing of like, hey, how in the world were you just, you were in jail and you just got let out? Like, there's a beautiful story. They just missed the whole story and they just go worse and go over here. We're just going to go, we told you not to teach anything. And this is what they respond. Peter replies, we must obey God rather than you. He says, because God was really clear. God said, go tell. So we went to go tell and you can arrest us all day long. But apparently the angels make us walk through walls. So we're just going to, we're going to keep obeying the Lord because God is on the move, right? So, and I love this. Verse 31, Peter says this, God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. I love that. That's a really cool picture of the gospel, that God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. And they're saying, we just want everyone to know. This is, what, this is the good news, the full message of the new life. He's like, we just want to tell everybody. Well, then when they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put him, they wanted to put them to death. And then an honorable, wise man named Gamaliel stands up and he goes, maybe we should rethink that. Because what if what they're doing, if they, he says, if what they're doing is of men, it will fail. If what they are doing is of God, we couldn't stop it if we wanted to. And so, first of all, kind of say what happens when honorable men stand up and speak the truth this man, he had the respect of the community and he stood up and he spoke into a really dark moment and spoke the truth and brought life. Appreciate when that happens. So here are these people who are furious and Gamaliel talks about of killing them. And so they decide to flog them instead and order them to not speak in the name and send them out. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So here's these people. I mean, they were in jail. They got out. They preached. They, brought in, they got brought before the judges anyway. Then they get flogged, and now they're sent out in the streets. And then they're rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Like, I'm watching these people. Like It's like they come skipping out. They're like, we just suffered disgrace for the name. Like, what? Like, I don't respond that way. Like, when things go badly in my life, I want to, like, bury my head in the sand and be like, I actually just kind of want to die. And it's, but they're just like, they are real. They know something. They know a spiritual truth here that I don't necessarily know very deeply. 
that what is happening when they are suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus, that they're like, oh, something is happening. And I just feel like it's like interesting that there's kind of two stories brewing here. One is what's happening with the, the Jewish ruling council, with the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, and they are furious. They are just mad, and they're like, what is happening? And then there's this thing that's happening with the apostles where they're like, the kingdom of God is on the move. And he is, we're going to tell the whole story and God is going to do this thing. They have this peace and this power and this joy in the midst of them being in a lot of trouble and being in jail and being, you know, these people are furious with them. The people who they're supposed to respect are furious and they're like, oh, okay. It really interesting thing that's happening. Okay. So then there's this whole story about Stephen and which I don't have time to go into, but Stephen is this holy man who I believe had the gift of administration, actually, Paul, because they put him in charge of the distributing of food. And yeah, come on, listen to this. This is, this is 6, 5. It says that Stephen is a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he's a man full of God's grace and power, and he did great and wondrous miracle miraculous signs amongst the people, and that no one could stand up against his wisdom or the spirit through which he spoke. I'm like, this is the man they said should distribute the food. This is a man who's doing like miracles and doing all of these powerful things. He is a man of God, and he is in touch with what God is doing in the midst of this community and these people. And this is the only time we see Stephen. Stephen kind of pops on the scene, and then crazy things go down, and then he, and we don't hear, we don't know much more. The anointing of God was on this man, and he did some amazing things. So you should read his story. And he has a really long speech. Not many speeches this long are recorded in Scripture, so you should maybe sign up. But that's on your own time. Okay, we are going to go over to the end of chapter 7. And right at the beginning, so right at the end of chapter 7, um, let's do 751. He, so Stephen gives this long sermon. And he's talking about this whole thing, and he's defending himself because he's in trouble, he's arrested. And so in front of the ruling council, he's defending himself. And at the very end, he says, you stiff-necked people, you with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Okay, so this is like a real low blow. This is like like in Jewish covenant language, this is like a hard left hook. He says, he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. The uncircumcised part of that is covenant language for, are you even following God? Are you even in? You, the, he, this is a big insult. So, you know, maybe we should talk more about circumcision some other day. But this is a big deal, and you can tell because verse 54, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. <laughs> I don't know why. That's so funny. <laughs> Just like, like, who do you know who gnashes their teeth? Like, like, if someone gnashed their teeth at me, I would be like, oh, I don't think I'd like it. I don't know if anyone's ever done it. I don't think I ever want anyone to do it. But when they heard this, I think, it, and I think it's bad. I think the gnashing is not good for Stephen. So when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. So can you see the fury that is boiling? This, this pot is boiling to the point of we're about to overflow over here. They're so mad. They're gnashing their teeth. But Stephen, 
full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man sitting at the, standing at the right hand of God. So here are the, here, here are the uh, Jewish people, and they are furious and gnashing and mad, and they're, they're, they're going to kill him. And Stephen is like, the heavens are open. And he is, he is locking eyes with God. He says he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Last, last I heard Jesus was sitting. He's supposed to be seated at the right hand of the Father. I don't really know what to make of this, but I think it's really interesting. And he says it twice in that verse, which makes me think it's important. As Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. And I don't think it's because of from where Jesus was sitting, he couldn't see. So I don't think that was it. I think there's something else. And I wonder if Stephen, what's happening with Stephen, what is it about it that causes Jesus apparently to rise to his feet? I wonder if it's because Stephen's so beloved. I wonder if it's because Stephen knows how blessed he is in the midst of persecution. I wonder if there's something about what's happening with Stephen that's making Jesus go, oh, my boy, like, and my boy's coming home, like right now. And it's like Stephen just looking up into the heavens and, go, and he's going, oh, and he just is captured into that moment. What is happening between Jesus and Stephen at this moment? How does he know that he's standing? I also think that maybe... Jesus stood up because this is a moment. It's, this is a linchpin moment in the kingdom. Something is about to happen at the stoning of Stephen. And I wonder if Jesus is like, oh, come on. Like, I got to see this moment. This is a big deal. So Stephen is looking straight into the heavens. He gets stoned. And then ver- the little second half of verse, chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Samaria. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word of God wherever they went. Because that's the directive, right? Go and tell the people the full message of this new life. So what ha- this moment of persecution, this moment of the killing and stoning of Stephen— launches the kingdom. This is what propels the kingdom to move. This is what causes it to grow is this moment. All of these people are scattered. And what happens? They take the gospel right with them because that's what they do. And that was the story is go and tell. You bring the full message of this new life. And they're like, okay, we are ambassadors of this. So the very thing that the Jewish people are doing in order to try to squash this movement, they're like, get out of town. It spreads the movement. And we know this. We know this. This is what happens in the church. What happens when the church is persecuted, when the church is pushed underground? It grows. History will tell us that. And, you know, I would like the church to grow like it was growing in chapter 2, when it was like the Holy Spirit falls, and Peter starts preaching, and 3,000 people meet Jesus, and there's miracles, and there's signs, and there's wonders, and glory, and glory. That's, I want that. That's how I like the church to grow. But for some reason, it's arrests and persecution and stoning and death and exile. That is what the Lord uses in order to launch his church. This is the way it goes. 
And I, I would love the gospel to be the way that I want it to be. I want it to be easy. I want to say, I made Jesus, and then it's all good, and I never have to suffer. But that's not the way of Jesus. When you look at Jesus himself in Gethsemane, and when he's praying right before he dies on the cross, and he's like, let this cup pass from me. He's going, is there another way except this horrific suffering? But he goes, not my will, but yours be done. He surrenders to go because he knows that there's something that is greater than that. There's something greater and bigger than the suffering because it's producing something different. And I just want to say this. If I am following Jesus and his way went by Calvary, I should not be surprised when mine does too. I should not be surprised at the suffering in my life. When things are hard, if I am actually following Jesus, there is something that he is doing that is bigger than that. And can I trust him in that? Can I be like Stephen when I'm in this, like this is actually horrific what is happening right now. My eyes are fixed on my savior. I am looking in the face of Jesus and I am intimate enough with the Holy Spirit that I actually know how to do that that I know how to be intimate with God in the midst of things being really, really hard. We, children of God, will not make it through this season if we are fluffy in our relationship with God. If we don't know him, if we are not rooted deeply in him, we will not make it. It is too hard. It is going to be easier to give up. And yet, God is up to something now. And he has put us here now. And he says, will you follow me through no matter what? No matter the suffering, the persecution, whatever might come, will you follow me? I want to be someone who does that. God is really good at bringing good things out of bad things. What does Romans 8.28 say? that he uses all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, not my purpose. He doesn't make all things for good for me, for my purposes. This is for his purposes. So when I am surrendered to his purpose, he works that out for good. He is so good at this. Like when Jesus, when, okay, God comes to earth and is, you know, here and we kill him, I think that's bad. That's probably bad move. God uses that to save the world. That's the kind of God he is. He says, no matter how dark, no matter how hard, I can use it for extravagant and glorious good if you keep your eyes on me. Look at me and follow me because I will do extravagant good things. What does Ephesians 3.20 say? Immeasurably more than you've asked for or imagined. It's this is exponential kind of good, exponential kind of power and glory happens this way. If it happened that way for Jesus himself, we should not be surprised when it happens to us. We learn from scripture that Jesus was a man of sorrows who was familiar with suffering. I don't always think of him that way. I don't always go, oh yeah, what a sorrowful, familiar was. I go, huh, that is interesting that he was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. It also says, son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learns obedience through what he suffered. I don't want that to be the way. It is the way. This is the way of Jesus. 
And will we be people who will know how to get through this? It makes me think about, um, it's like if you were a big tree, well, maybe you're a small tree, and your, your roots are growing down, and they hit some rock. And that's hard. What happens when you push through the rock, and you get to the real living water underneath? That is how you become an oak, an oak of righteousness. That is how you become something solid that the, the winds and the waves cannot shake is because you are rooted in something so much deeper. That is what it means to press through the suffering, following your God and find the deeper water. That's what he calls you to. What does James say? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the Testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That is like root talk. That is like you get your roots, you, put, you persevere all the way through those rocks until you get to that living water. That is what you do. And it, that's the disciples skipping through the streets going, we suffered disgrace for the name. They're going, what is happening is actually for the power and the glory of the Lord. Somehow, some way, I'm going to trust the Lord through this darkness and that he would launch his crazy lights. Um, I want to read you, oh, I just lost it, guys. It's 1 Peter 4. All right, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Remember the Savior that you're following. You're following him. Do not be surprised. But Jesus, where was he looking? People like Stephen, where are they looking? The disciples are going, something bigger is happening here. And God is on the move. Um, I read this book once by Larry Crabb called Scat Shattered Dreams, one of the only books I ever really wanted to throw across the room. Um, so horrific, great. But he, what he talks about is exactly what we're talking about this morning, is, is that how, somehow the suffering and the crucibles of our life actually create a really deep, refined faith in us. And... He said he was, he, he was an old theologian, so he was, of course, asked to pray at his granddaughter's wedding. And he says, I know that they all wanted me to just pray, like, blessed and peace and joy and all the flowers and roses. And he goes, what I actually wanted to pray was, God, give them just enough suffering that they will actually really know you, that they'll actually get in touch with the depth of your character, and that they will know that it is only you who pulls them through. And he's like, you know, as grandpa, he goes, I just want to protect them from all of it. He goes, but also he goes, this is the way I want. If I want my grandkids to actually know the depth of the witch of the way that God loves them, this is the way. Because it's the way that Jesus went. And we can't pretend that that is not part of our life as believers. Because it's what causes the kingdom to grow. Right? We know this. All right. I want to read you this last little um, verse. And this is. You know, this is a version of the Bible. I don't, it doesn't have a title on it. I think it looks like a cookbook, but 
Um, I don't know what it is, but I really like the translation. Sometimes I like to read things in a different translation because it just hits me different and it helps me hear it in a fresh way. So I want to read to you out of Matthew 5 um, from the Beatitudes. And um, I just think it's really well done. And I also just wanted to say that there's a, there was a, there's a quote by William Faulkner, and it says this. It says, it is hard believing, but disaster seems to be good for people. Isn't that interesting? It is hard to believe that. But disaster tends to be good for people. You know, like when I have a conversation of like, what, what happened to me during quarantine, during this pandemic? When, when life got hard, what was birthed in me? And I know that the good things that were birthed in me were because I kept my eyes fixed somewhere. All right, Matthew 5. I'm just going to kind of pull a couple little chunks out, so bear with me. But blessed are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And blessed are those who know what sorrow means, for they will be given courage and comfort. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for true goodness, for they will be fully satisfied. Blessed are those who have suffered persecution for the cause of goodness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And what happiness will be yours when people blame you and ill-treat you and say all kinds of slanderous things against you for my sake? Be glad then. Yes, be tremendously glad for your reward in heaven is magnificent. You are the earth's salt and you are the world's light. Let your light shine so that in the sight of men that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Children of God, you are blessed. You are double blessed. You are blessed, children of God. And when things get hard, that doesn't mean that you are not blessed. You actually could be glad. You could be tremendously glad because you know who you are as a child of the King. And nothing that is going to happen in our world is actually going to shake what is truest about you, which is that you belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He is up to something even in this dark day. He is and will do something, and we people of faith need to follow Him. And it might not be easy, and it might not be what we want. And I am going to follow my king. Wherever he's going to go, I'm going to follow him. And somehow in the midst of that, we get to see into the heavenlies. We get to see that God is up to a good and powerful and beautiful thing. We need to have eyes to see it clear. So Lord, help us. Jesus, would you go before us? Would you show us how? Help us to remember that we are blessed, anointed, loved children of God. And then when life is hard and the world is broken and things are not the way that we wish they were, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Help us to see what you are up to. Help us to follow you through the darkness and the fog, no matter what. 
God, you are our only way through. We want more of you. We trust you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.